I'm Elizabeth Messer, and we're so glad you're joining us for this session, Lesson 3, in our study of Hebrews. In the previous lessons, we've discussed Jesus is the Son of God. In this lesson, we learn about Jesus is the Son of Man. Jesus was both fully God and fully man. Why is that so important to us as Christians? We'll discuss this and more in this next lesson. Thanks for listening. Lord, I just thank you for this group that is gathered here. And we just ask now that you would send your Holy Spirit just to move and have your way among us. Just come and touch our hearts with your word. Help us to know you better through the letter to the Hebrews. Just open our ears and our hearts and our minds um, to hear from you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So this is our third lesson that we've done so far. And last week, um, we talked about Jesus is the Son of God. And um, we're, we're kind of looking at different ways. Last week, too, we talked about um, the table of contents and how it kind of goes through the book of Hebrews. And I think I told you that there's the, the phrase in Greek that means better than or superior to. The author uses that 14 times to describe Jesus. So Jesus is better than the angels. Um, that's what we talked about last time. He's, he's better than the angels. He's the son of God. Next week we're going to talk about he's better than Moses. He's better than the promised land. He's better than the Levite priest. He's a better sacrifice. All these different things. Um, so last week we talked about Jesus is the son of God and um, kind of his position in the heavenlies. And we'll pick up more about that when we talk today. And I asked Camille to make this for us, and I just, I gave um, her just a list of some of the different names of Jesus. And one thing I read when I was working on this, or one thing I kind of realized when I was working on this this fall, is I think that we know Jesus and we think about Jesus as our Savior and our Redeemer but there's so many other names um, for Jesus that, and other ways that I think that you have the rest of your life to kind of explore and grow into. And so she made this little piece of artwork for us with um, some of the different names uh, for Jesus. And I love how she kind of integrated them. So he's called the Desire of the Nations. I love that one. Um, the Wonderful Counselor, the Prince of Peace, uh, a friend of sinners. Like, I feel like you could take one of these little phrases and meditate on it for a whole year and just ask God, God, show Jesus, show me what it means that you are called a friend of sinners. What does that mean? Give me a greater understanding of what that means. Um, so I just had her make this for us, and you can just kind of keep it in your Bible. But as a way to think about um, the different expressions of Jesus, the way, um, the way that we can come to know him and know more about him. And I, I hesitated to use this example, but, and you'll see why in a minute. But I, I was reading recently about someone was talking about Jesus as the immortal diamond. 
And it was saying that if you have a diamond and you kind of turn and look through different facets of it, that you get different perspectives on Jesus. And that's kind of what we're doing in the book of Hebrews. We're looking at him as the son of God. Today we're going to be looking at him as the son of man. What does that mean, that Jesus was fully man? Um, and so I hope, that, I hope that through this that you're encouraged to kind of see Jesus in maybe a different way that you hadn't thought about. If you, if you go through the whole study and you leave and you, your kind of heart hasn't been expanded in that way, I think I'll feel like I failed as a teacher. So um, I, I just want to encourage you that, you know, and ask the Holy Spirit to come like and teach you, Lord, show me more about that. Show me what it means that you're the son of God. Show me what it means that um, you're called the son of man, that you called, you refer to yourself um, by that title more than any other title in the New Testament as the son of man. Um, so this is just, this is just a bonus because like I said, I, I like to give things away. So, so just tuck that in your Bible and kind of use that um, in your own time as you're, as you're thinking about that. So last week we talked about Jesus as the Son of God and his position in the heavenlies. And do you remember at the end of chapter 1 where we read, to which of his angels, so this is, this is verse 13, to which of his angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand? which would be like a place of privilege, right, and honor. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So we read about that last time in regard to his position with the angels. That, and remember when we talked about the introduction, the very, very beginning, how Jesus was with God in the very beginning, before he made the heavens and the earth, and then after his ministry, now he's been glorified and sits at the right hand of God um, next to the throne of God. So that's what we're going to talk about today is how Jesus left that place and position of influence and heritage and came to be with us and then ascended after his crucifixion. So let's start with, we're going to read Hebrews 2 verses 5 through 8. And I think Alex says this. Okay, can you read it for us? For he is not of the world to come, of which we speak in subjection to angels, but one testified in a certain place, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, Okay, and there's your verse. In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. We're going to talk about that more in a little bit. But let's talk more about this term, um, the Son of Man. So last week we talked about that Jesus was the Son of God. I remember we looked at the Nicene Creed and, and it, where it talks about he was the God and not made, light from light, God from God. This idea of the radiance from the Father. Um, so he was fully God. And then yet in this passage, and he's quoting the Psalms, Psalm 8, when he reads here. Um, the Son of Man, that you care for him. Um, yeah, so it's hard to wrap your mind around this. But last week we talked about Jesus was 100% God. 
that he was the he was the same divine substance as the Father. So he was fully God. Okay, but also we're going to talk about this week. He became fully man to come be with us. So he's a hundred percent God. This is for all you math majors. He's a hundred percent God, but he's also a hundred percent man. It's like one hundred percent plus one hundred percent equals. A million percent. I don't know. But but it's not like 50-50. It's fully God and fully man. And if it's if it's hard to get your mind around, that's okay. It's, it's one of those things that you just can't comprehend. And I was thinking about my son. I told y'all that he's in high school. And I'm actually surprised. Our, there's only six <laughs> years difference. This is just a little sign. But there's only six years difference between our oldest child, who's a junior in college, and our youngest, who's a freshman in high school, but there, there's six years, but there is such a huge difference. And you guys are all shaking your head, like, obviously, you know. But um, Mac has a totally different vocabulary. Okay, so our son that's in high school. So um, he'll come home from a young life, I'll say, Mac, how's your life? He says something like, it was straight up vibing. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, you know. And then he's doing swimming right now. I mean, does that sound familiar? He's doing swimming right now. He came home from a meet. I said, how did it go? How was your week with Titusville? He said, we got clapped. <laughs> I was like, okay, so does that mean like one and then three and four? He was like, no, we got clapped, so they lost, you know? So he has this other little phrase that he uses, big brain and small brain. Have you all heard this? Yeah, so, Yeah. <laughs> So he'll say, he even said it today, he, he was talking about something, and, and he'll say, that's big brain. So like if, if he has a good idea about something, or, um, or if he forgets something, like he forgot his permission slip, oh, was, that was small brain, you know. So it's, <laughs> I know, it's like a foreign language. So, but, um, so small brain is, you know, oh, I did something. Stupid, I forgot something. Big brain is wow, that was, that was a great idea. That was that that's big brain. I can't even get my mind around it. Okay, so this is one of those concepts. If there was ever a concept, this is a concept. This is big brain. Okay, you cannot even get your mind around how can God be Jesus be a hundred percent God and be a hundred percent man. It just you just kind of have to accept that we're finite. And he's infinite, and it's it's hard to it's hard to grasp, but that's what the truth is. And um, in John, the Gospel of John, which was actually written after Hebrews, they tell us that the Word came and put on flesh. So somehow Jesus, in his divine being, came and actually put flesh became became a man, and that's where we get the word incarnation. So for those of you that are taking Spanish. What, what is the little root there in incarnation? What's the, what is the Spanish word for meat? Anybody that? Yeah, carne, carne. So uh, carne, yeah, that's where we get, it's the same root when we talk about the incarnation around Christmas, that Jesus came and dwelt among us, that he came and he put on flesh incarnation. It's kind of a weird way to think about it, but that's what they're saying. There were there was meat on his bones. He was a divine being, but in the flesh and blood with, um, with meat. So, 
Um, and then Hebrews 2.17, when we read in just a little bit, it's going to say, he was made like us in every way. Um, which was, it was hard for some people, I'm sure you've heard of um, the Gnostics, it, it was really hard for them to accept that a divine being, it just um, was insulting because they thought about the body in the wrong way. They couldn't imagine a God that would come and be with us and be like one of us. But, but that's the amazing thing that he did. So in this verse 2, it says, Who is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. And that little phrase, son of man, and I kind of referred to this earlier, but Jesus uses that more than any other term um, to describe himself in the Gospels. He uses it over 85 times to talk about himself. The son of man, the son of man. And I was thinking about this earlier today and how if we go all the way back to Genesis 1 and we talk about God creating um, human beings, in the, in the very beginning, before they had names, he created man, and then from the man he made woman. So this idea, the son of man, and you know Jesus is often called the second Adam. So this idea, there was man, and this son of man um, that, that came after Adam. So um, the next question on your set, what is man that you are mindful of him? And this, is a, this comes straight from the Psalms. What does it mean to you that God is thinking of you, that you are on his mind? So this is another, I could say, this is another big brain. Whoa, like what does it mean to you? And I'm going to let you talk about that some more in your small group. But I, I just want you to think about that. Do you ever just stop and think about that? What? Who am I that God would be mindful of me, that God is thinking about me, that, that um, an infinite God could be thinking about my little tiny life? But that's what it says here. It says, who is man that you are mindful of him? And I'm sure you've had these moments. I was just going to show you mine in the fall when I was working on this. Right after that, I took a trip on a plane, and this is just my out of my uh, you know window window seat on the plane. But I'm sure you've had these moments where you're on a plane, or you're in front of the ocean, or just something like that, where you're just kind of caught up. At this moment, I was looking down at I could see this little river snaking through the mountains, and then you know when you look down and you see the little patchwork squares, the little farms, and you just get this feeling of how tiny you are and how small you are in the midst of things. And um, just sometimes I think it's good to ponder that, like just to feel, you just feel, I think it's so easy to kind of get caught up in our own lives and what's going on and things seem so big and to have these moments you step back and realize, um, you know, I, my life is really, really small compared to the good God that we serve, but yet he still cares about us. He's still very, very interested and cares about us. Um, so that's something to talk about in your small group um, more. What does it mean to you that God is thinking of you, that you are on his mind? And is that something that just comes naturally for you or that you assume, or is that something that's hard for you to kind of grasp? So let's read again Hebrews 2. Five, three, nine. So I think Alex has that. Let's read that again. 
For he is not the world to come, of which we speak, in subjection to angels. But one has testified in a certain place, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him? For the son of man that you take care of him. You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, and set him over the works of your hand. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who has made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might be his death yeah, so there's a, there's a lot going on here. What I want to look at now is this part that's talking about um, he's put everything under him. And remember we read that part up in the first chapter. It says, um, I've made your enemies a footstool for your feet. And I kind of get this image of this like action movie where you know the hero has the guy down on the ground with his foot on his neck or something. Um, these enemies under your feet. So he's talking about Jesus' position before um, he came to be with us, and then he comes to be with us. So we're going to talk about this, this kind of ministry of descent. He comes down to be with us, and then now how he's been glorified um, again after his resurrection. And in putting everything under him, God left nothing that was not subject to him. So that means everything is under his authority, under his dominion, under his control. And then read, listen to this verse. Yet at the present, we do not see everything subject to him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, uh, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Um, yeah, I was just reading over this today, and that verse just jumped out at me. Yet at the present, we do not see everything subject to him. And I'm sure for all of you, you can think of examples. You, It doesn't, I mean, you turn on the news for five minutes, and you think, really? Everything is subject to you? It, it, it doesn't look that way. It doesn't feel that way. And I'm sure you have brokenness in your own life um, that... Um, makes that hard to believe. But God is saying, for a time, yes. But we, we, as Christians, we have hope that there is going to be a time where there's no more tears, there's no more suffering, there's no more death. I was, I was thinking about this today, too, because I have two very dear friends, and they're actually Grove City alums, and they live here in the area. But both of them have children with special needs. And I was thinking about this verse with them because one of my friends, her oldest son has autism and he, he goes to the school, he's mainstreamed at the schools. And then my um, other friend, her son has a um, visual problem and he's legally blind. He can't read, he reads with a kind of like an iPad, but he'll never be able to drive. Um, I mean, he's very, He's very well adapted and high functioning, but I was thinking about this verse when I was thinking about them because they're really amazing women to me, but just what that means that, that it's not like they have something that they're going to be healed of. Um, it's more, you know, for my friend with her son with autism, it's, you know, what does it mean for her that they've kind of had to adjust their life to living with him and just thinking about um, her faith in the midst of that, that one day 
um, he will be made well. He will be able to communicate. He will um, be able to speak clearly and those kind of things. And I was just thinking about this verse that um, at the present we do not see everything subject to him, um, but we have that hope that one day he will he will make everything right and everything will be made right under him. So I just wanted to I wanted to comment on that. But I wanted to talk to you about this ministry of descent of a God who would leave his place in the heavenlies to descend to be with us. And I hope you realize that no other religion at all is like that. It's all all other religions like Buddhism, um, other things are all about us becoming more perfected so that we can kind of achieve that relationship with God. So we think about it, if you think about a ladder, it's kind of like us climbing this ladder of achieving perfection until we are holy enough to be near to God. And with Christianity, it's exactly the opposite. That in our imperfection, right, Jesus came down on that ladder to be with us in the in the mess, the very, very mess of our lives, right? So what I want you to do now is in your booklet, turn over just to the page that's blank. So you turn over just a few pages to this page right here. And we're going to do just a little exercise. So just kind of turn this page. And what I want you to do is start with your pencil or pen right up here in the left-hand corner. And I'm going to read a passage about Jesus. And I want you to, from Philippians. And I want you to listen to this as I'm reading it. And as you're reading it, you can close your eyes or you, or you can not close your eyes. But it's just, I want you to just kind of listen to the words of it. And every time you hear a word that talks about coming low or being made low or being humble, I want you, you're kind of drawing, and then when you hear one of those words, I want you to go down, okay, when you hear those words. And then at a certain point when I'm reading this passage from Philippians, it's going to start to ascend, okay? And then when you hear those words, you can kind of start to go up. So let's just do this as a little exercise, and I think it'll give you a visual representation of what I'm talking about when I talk about Jesus' ministry of descent coming down to be with us, descending in order to ascend, okay? So here we go. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Okay, so here it goes. All right. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. So what is, what is your little diagram look like? Just looking. Ah, yeah. So isn't that cool? How you might, if you've heard that passage read before, which you probably have, you can hear it in the words, but when you take your pencil and actually follow it, you can see that ministry of descent, that ministry of coming low to be with us, to be like us. And then from that place of humility, he is then exalted. Um, yeah, so any, any thoughts on that or any observations or... Any observations from that? One of the questions is, <clears throat> and I think you're going to talk about this more in your small group, but how does the ministry of dissent change the way that you think about living out your faith as you follow the way of Jesus? So that's one thing for you to think about. I remember when I was about your age, I was working for um, a guy who's a wonderful Christian. And I remember he said, I was, I was probably your age, maybe a little bit older, and I remember he said something that was big brain for me. Okay, I was kind of like, oh, I don't even, I can't even, I don't even understand that. But he said, you know, the more and more that I follow Jesus and that I walk with Jesus, I realize that it's not about becoming a better Christian or a perfect Christian. And, and my own pride when I heard that, I was kind of like, what does he mean? Of course I'm going to become a better Christian. And he said, the more I walk with Jesus, it's not so much about being a better Christian as it is growing more and more dependent on Jesus. And like I said, in that moment, I was like, I, it was, because the way the world thinks, it was hard for me to even comprehend that. But I've thought about that a lot, and... Um, there's so that's the gospel and there's so much truth to that that um, those places where you feel like God I don't know what to do I um, am completely dependent on you those places those are the place of deep relationship and deep intimacy um, with God those places where you're leaning into him where you're so um, those places of humility um, where you're leaning into him, that you know, I, I can't do this on my own. I can't, I don't have the physical strength for this. I can't mentally come up with any more ideas. I'm so spiritually tired. I can't even pray about this anymore. And Jesus says, that's okay. Just come and, and lean on me. Be dependent on me. And, and that, um, for us as Christians, is is the best place that you can be. Um, sometimes it feels scary because it feels like things are out of our control, but it's all an illusion of control anyways. So. But yeah, that, that ministry of descent, and I just have, 
Humility is a gift, an uncommon gift in Christianity, but we're one of the only religions, too, that we would see that. We would see humility as a gift, as a gift um, to be received, not something to be ashamed of or um, a weakness, but that it's actually, it's, it's a gift. And don't be like Mac Messer, my son, who said, I'm so humble, I'm the most humble person I know. So, <laughs> yeah. But I'll let you talk more about that. How is the theology of the cross different than a theology of glory? And how does this go against our current culture? So that's another good one for you to think about. But let's go on um, to the end of this. And this is our verse for the week because I think it's so good for you as seniors, just where you are right now. It says, now I'm putting everything under him. God left nothing that is not subject to him. Or in this translation in your booklet, it says, now I'm putting everything in subjection to him. He left nothing outside of his control. So God put everything under his dominion. Everything, every class, every grade, every relationship, every disappointment. He left nothing outside his dominion. And um, the next question is, what is something that you are grateful right now in your life, in your present circumstance? What is something that you feel very grateful when you hear that verse? Oh, God, I'm so glad this is under your control. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you just a little bit of time to write just for yourself. You're not going to ask people to share. I'm just going to give you a little bit of time to just write that on your own. So just take a few minutes now. What is something in your life right now? It could be a decision. It could be just uncertainty. It could be a relationship, um, a decision, anything like that. I'm just going to give you a little bit of time to just write about that. writing, but uh, we're going to do just a little prayer. 
exercise. Um, one of the authors I really like, his name is Henry Allen. He just passed away, but he wrote this little book on prayer, and he called it With Open Hands. And the book is all about that he felt like prayer could be all summed up in this one way of starting with a closed fist and then slowly releasing our control and letting go and giving those things to God. Um, <clears throat> so those things that we're holding on tight to, that we want to try to control, that we think we have influence over, and even praying and asking, being honest about, God, I don't even want to let go of this. Um, this, is, this is a really hard thing for me to let go of, and it makes me feel safe to hold it like this. Um, but just make your fist like that. Do you feel how much, like when I do that, do you feel how much energy that takes to even squeeze your hands hard like that? Like how much energy goes into us just trying to control things and be in control? And um, so what I'm going to do now is I'm just going to lead us in a little prayer. And this is just between you and God. You don't have to say anything. Um, but I want you to start with your fists like this. I just call this the letting go prayer. And sometimes it's really helpful to just kind of help you visualize instead of even using the words, but using something that, um, using these hands that I'm holding too tightly to this. And I want to let go. I want to release that. And as you do that, you'll feel just kind of a sense of relief too, so that you can take those things. I'm offering those things to you so that I can receive your goodness that you have for me. Because if we have our hands like this too, we're not in a place of receiving, right? Because we're so locked in on what we think is so important. So I just want you to make a fist and I want you to think of that thing that's just between you and God that you're struggling with, that you are holding onto too tightly. That thing that you're grateful, when we read that verse and it says, and putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Okay, so just kind of close your eyes now and make your fist. God, I confess that I'm holding too tightly to, and you can just fill in whatever it is for you. If it's um, just a decision or just uncertainty, just a difficult situation. Lord, I just confess that I'm holding too tightly onto this. Help me to let go of my control and to trust you in this situation. I open my heart and my hands. You can just kind of slowly open your hands as a symbol of letting go of these fears and worries and giving these things to you. I trust you to meet me in this place. Lord, just come by your Holy Spirit and help me to receive all that you have for me. In Jesus' name, amen. And that's just a little prayer that you can do anytime. Um, and like I said, it's just helpful to kind of visualize this letting go. Okay, we're going to look at the rest of chapter 2 before we break up into small groups. And I think I've given that to Brittany. She's going to read for us. So she's going to read... 
Hebrews 2, 10 through 18. So basically to the end of chapter 2. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. This, that is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I am the children of God. Wait, behold, I and the children of God have given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the ones who have the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. And therefore he had to make, he had He had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make appropriations for the sins of those of the people. For because he himself had suffered when tempted, he was able to help those who are being tempted. Thank you very much, Lord. Good. So there's so many words throughout this passage. Um, and it's in your little booklet, that speak to a new family. There's kind of this familial language that's used here. And I I want you to just kind of look through that. What are some words that jump out to you that speak to this new family and God that is being built through Jesus and his work? So when you kind of look through there, what are some words that jump out at you that speak to this family and God? You can circle them in your book or underline them. Do you see, what are some of the words that you see? Brothers, Brothers, uh uh-huh. So brothers, when you see brothers, it can mean brothers and sisters. So brothers and sisters that Jesus is bringing together. Anything else you see? The founder. Um, we're going to talk about that word in just a little bit. He's the founder of our faith. It's, it's kind of a position of, um, in some translations, it talks about being the eldest brother the eldest brother, the oldest sibling of all the brothers and sisters, which I think is a really cool image. Any other words that you see throughout there? Congregation. Congregation. Um, I think that speaks to the, the church. Children. children. Yeah, thanks, Hannah. Yeah, behold the children that God has given me. Um, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood. So he's talking about us. He's talking about the children of God, these brothers and sisters, these children that he's bringing into his family. Um, 
And then there's another word. Uh, it's not angels. Surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps who? Yeah, the offspring. So again, there's another word that is kind of similar to children, but this idea of being a family, being made a family in God. And what does that mean to you, that you're being, you're being made a part of this new family in God? that he's building. It's, as Matt would say, that's pretty big brain, you know. Um, and, and like I said, Jesus as the elder brother, if you look at Hebrews 2, 9, it says that um, kind of before, because he suffered death, so by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. And I'm not sure if I put it on here, but there's also the verse in Colossians that talks about that. It says that he was the first to experience death so that he might be preeminent in everything. But this older brother that was going before us in everything. How many of you are the oldest sibling? I'm the oldest. Yeah, sometimes it's kind of a drag, isn't it? Because <laughs> um, you're the, you know, the first one to go to, you know, go to school or go to college or the first one to go to camp or the first one to... Um, do all these things by yourself. And, um, you know, your younger brothers and sisters are kind of looking to you to kind of make the way. And then, you know, the parents are all nervous too. And then once you've done it the first time, they're like, oh, this is no big deal. They're taking, you know, the third child to college and nobody's crying or anything. But, but there's, the, there's kind of a burden of being the oldest sibling that um, to to kind of pave the way for the rest of the siblings. And that's what it's saying that Jesus is doing for us. He's going before us. And there's this language, he's the founder of our faith. And other translations, it may even be later on, it talks about he's the author of our faith. And in other translations too, I think it says he's the pioneer. So he's really going before us in everything. And I love that image. It's very comforting to me as an oldest to think about having someone going before me like that. Um, yeah, the scripture says that the children share in flesh and blood. What types of things do you share with your siblings, and does this change the way that you think about yourself and God's family? So I think it's kind of an interesting question to think about. And um, this part where it says he had to be made like us in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. Um, I was thinking about this more today, too, that he had to become us like us in every way so that he could die. That if he had come as just an eternal divine being, he would, there would be no death. That he had to become um, finite and weak so that he could experience death for us um, more, than, more than anything else. So he became like us in every way. And then looking forward in, in another lesson, we're going to talk about Jesus as our great high priest. And there, one of the verses, it's actually going to be our memory verse. It's from Hebrews 4. It says, we do not have a great high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And um, I think in that verse 2, it should even say he's able to empathize with us, not just sympathize with us, but empathize to understand. He understands what it's like 
um, to be frustrated. I was reading something the other day that was saying, you know, why did Jesus' ministry, why did he begin his ministry at 30 and not 16 or 18 or 21 or 25? Why, why 30? And this author was kind of reflecting on the years that he took to experience. He was learning what it was like to be human. You know, he was going through experiencing all the things that we experience um, so that he could sympathize with us. He was learning what it's like to be the son of man, to be fully man, to experience those things. And just thinking about, um, you know, what does it mean to you in this moment that Jesus understands and sympathizes with your weaknesses? Um, There's one last little quick story. Uh, but when my, when my kids were younger, I homeschooled them for a few years, and they completely wore me out. I finally had to send them to school. But, um, so they were super high energy. If you know them, they're very lively. They're, you know, Mac would jump from, like, the window seat to the ottoman to the couch to do a front flip, you know, run back, start it all over again. And, uh, you know, every day my goal was just to keep everyone out of the emergency room, and that felt like, you know, I had succeeded if... if that's how the day ended. But I remember one of the things I did when I was homeschooling is I would read to them. That was one of the only ways I could get them to, you know, be still and focus and listen. So we did a lot. We did a lot of reading when we were homeschooling. And I remember one day I was reading in their little story Bible. And I came to the story. We were reading the story about where Jesus is teaching to the crowds. And then he gets into the boat and it said, and Jesus was very tired, and he laid down and fell asleep. And, you know, they came across, and I remember just going, Jesus got tired. <laughs> Jesus knows what it's like to feel tired. And, you know, that was one of those moments where I felt so much sympathy and empathy that Jesus understands what it's like to have a body that it gets tired and worn out and you have to stop and take a nap and or you have to take a break from people there's so many times where jesus it says jesus often withdrew to lonely and solitary places he just needed a break from everybody i mean do you feel like that i hear that on the campus that it's like i can't find anywhere to just go be by myself you know i just need a break from people he felt that way too and um, so I just think about that. In that moment, that spoke to me so much. I was like, Jesus knows what it's like to feel tired. And, and he does. I mean, think about so many, so many other things. He was misunderstood. Do you ever feel like no one really gets me? No one really understands me. Um, think about that. He tried, and he tried his best to explain to his closest friends what was going to happen to them. And they just ignored him or didn't really try to listen. Um, he was never accepted by the rulers and leaders of his day. He always felt like an outsider. He never had any kind of affirmation from them. You know, he never published his sermons into a book. You know, <laughs> he never got that affirmation. I was thinking about even he never had a home of his own. So thinking about you all as seniors and thinking about the uncertainty of next year and where you're going to be. And, um, you know, there's a verse that Jesus says, 
you know, foxes have holes and the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. You know, just thinking about um, the uncertainty of that. You know, he was rejected by his friends. He was betrayed by his friends. And then this verse tells us that he was tempted in every way. And some people say, yeah, but was Jesus really tempted? He was. I mean, it tells us that in Scripture, that he understands what that was like. And um, when it says that he suffered, I don't think he had to suffer to earn his place in the kingdom. I think he suffered because he was obedient to God. And in his obedience, he, he suffered because of that. But I just want you to think about that, that, um, that a God that loves you so much, that would come close, that would come into our world to experience the things that you're experiencing, that you have experienced, so that he can sympathize with you and empathize with you and understand when no one else understands, that he can um, be a comfort to you in that. So just take comfort in that, and um, I know you're going to talk more about that in your groups. But we're going to wrap up for now. We're kind of running over. And um, let me just pray for us, and then Amber is going to play our, play our song for us. So let me pray. Jesus, thank you that you not only came to be with us, but you became like us in every way. You became flesh and blood so that we could become your brothers and sisters for all eternity. There's a deep sense of comfort and belonging that comes from knowing that you are my older brother and that because of all you did for me, I am a part of your family. For that and for so many other reasons, I'm eternally grateful. Amen. Um, if you want to stand, Amber's going to play uh, There's a Redeemer. you are encouraged by that message. Please join us for the following lessons and be sure to subscribe, like, and comment on this podcast Elizabeth Messer shares on your favorite podcasting platform. Thank you.